0: this is a big moment in on the mark history have you ever listened to on the mark danny parkins absolutely not yeah nobody either has just this 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 is the launching point i'm putting it all on you we got huge names on the show i mean should the jerry rices Joe montana's we'll leave it all 49ers and now we've got parko but i think that you actually can launch this podcast no pressure
1: i don't feel any pressure
0: i'm i'm honored you've had jerry rice on this podcast i've had a i've had like i've had a ton of great names no one, I, Why doesn't anyone listen? There's a, like a consistency issue with this podcast that needs to be, uh, you know, ramped up, which I, I'm going to use you as motivation to hit this every week. Oh, but, wow. Okay. But it's been more so people coming to me versus me reaching out and creating the daily thing. I mean, who do these people want to talk to? All the, you know, I, That's it, the story of Mark Carmen's life, though. Like something <laughs> happens and then you just fall into something much, much,
1: much better. They're like, here's a podcast. You've got to go do work for yourself. Jerry Rice approaches
0: you for a guest. That's absurd. Yeah, it's it's. Well, I give all the credit to the powerful sided brand, which continues to grow. And these people want it. They want to be on Fansighted's It's great. I am a
1: consumer of uh, Mark Carmen on Instagram. Oh, there Mark there we go. Carmen on FanSided. Uh, Mark Carmen on WGN with Harry Tiedemann. You know, I'm a I'm a longtime fan of your work. Yes,
0: and this is. Let's make this all about you. We are here to talk about Danny Parkins and and your journey. Why do you think I'm here? <laughs> now. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> <just not> sure. <laughs> exactly right so hold on i want to go back to the young parko because I, I you know i was let's talk about me for a minute i was a, the f- get out of college well what the hell are you going to do with your life well i want to go see michael jordan uh, in the locker room so i'll try to have some form of media career and then i had to like sort of mature from the guy who just wanted to be in the corner and there's jordan to actually you know what you can actually make a career of this and talking to a microphone and be a personality. You, I feel like we're five years old, and a little already, older than that. But you, but you, I, when did you like first get the? You know what? I want to do this. I want to be on the air. I want to be at the score someday. You know, it,
1: it wasn't quite as specific as the score but it was as specific of i wanted to host a sports talk radio show in chicago preferably in the afternoons because i enjoy sleeping in <laughs> I mean, so it was that specific um, you knew your time slot at 8 i knew my time slot pretty young um so that's amazing yeah you know i, I I, I have my dream job, and so now that I have it, I'm like, maybe I should have dreamed bigger, because <laughs> I have my dream job, and I got it at 31, if you count afternoons, and I'm 32 now, and it's amazing, but I, um, my parents work worked very hard. Okay. You know, um, my dad was a brokerage manager, he's now retired, my mom is a broker, Um Think Wolf of Wall Street. Not many women in the industry. She's been doing it for thirty years. Wow! So they're you know they they gave me and my sisters a a very privileged upbringing, made a lot of money in the nineties, lost money when the market went down up and down. My mom is still working, you know, but I saw a tremendous amount of work ethic at like a very young age. My parents were out the door before we woke up. They were home well after we got back from school, you know, like they, my, my parents would be downtown by the time the markets opened and for their, their market calls and that sort of thing. And so I, I got the work ethic from them. Um, my dad grew up poor. My mom grew up Middle maybe upper middle class and so they they worked really hard for everything that we had But so I I got the work ethic from them and I loved the lifestyle that it provided from them But what I absolutely did not want to do Was hate my job like both of them in some ways They they brought it home. There was lots of stress. They were up early. They were wearing suits like you know, what I mean like that that part of it sucked to me. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And, but they, that environment also fostered a, like, you can do whatever you want. Like they, they, they were of that generation that if you were successful, you could tell your kids, do it. You can accomplish anything if you work hard and set your mind to it. And I would go to games with my dad. That was how him and I bonded. He's not a diehard sports fan in any way But he just likes to do what I liked to do and if I liked big games he we joke on the show Mac calls him big game Tom uh, Because he's not a huge fan of any team, but like if it was Cubs opening day That was a big game. He would try to get tickets and we would go Uh, Jordan played baseball at Wrigley the one time in the in the crosstown classic loved it I was there with my two best friends in the world at the time uh, who I still uh, am in touch with to this day now that I'm back in Chicago and my dad and we were in right field because Jordan was a right fielder like you know you know what I mean like it was it was th- my dad's firm had season tickets to the Bulls uh, for the second three Pete so saw the clinching game against the Sonics you know on Father's Day with my dad my older brother and my mom how so, old were you uh 90 so I'm 10 11 it's okay. um, awesome yeah and so like th- those were so but the teams I'm the biggest fan of are Cubs and Bulls because I think in that like 10 to 12, 10 to 13 range is like the sweet spot of, you know, all the rules, you can watch the games, you know, the stats, you get collect baseball cards. You could read, you know, Paul Sullivan and Casey Johnson and Sam Smith. And so it was Sosa, right? Summer of 98. Sure. And 96 to 98, the second three Pete. So Cubs and Bulls. And uh, so now that it's home of the the scores, the home of the Cubs and Bulls is absurd. But so anyway, going to games with my dad, he would just put on sports talk on the way home for post game. Like, hey, you want to listen to what we just, you know, and I couldn't believe that it was a thing. I was like, what is this? He's like, are guys just talking about the game we were at? And I didn't even really want to call. I just wanted to listen to like, study the... Th- I was like, what? This guy's getting paid? He's like, yeah, he's getting paid to talk about the game we were just at. And I'm like, that's the cool... Can we swear on this podcast? Yes, go ahead. I was like, that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever... You know, I- it was unbelievable to me. And so I... Yeah, I just I just fell in love with it. And then when I got a car, my grandma's 95 Camry that I bought from her when she couldn't see because she had glaucoma, uh, I... Howard Stern in the morning, Mac Yurko, and Harry in the afternoon. I was a delivery driver because I loved that I could listen to the radio while working. Like I just, I just loved it. I who'd loved you it.
0: D- who'd you deliver for? This is a Boston
1: Boston Blackies. Okay, I worked for Boston Blackies, uh, the the Glencoe location or Hubbard Woods location. Uh, I was, uh, I started in in to go when I was fifteen, like taking the carryout orders, uh-huh. and then worked there for five years and then you know we'd come back and work in the summers and over break in college and all of that when I was interning uh for free but waited tables hosted to go and uh, but my favorite was delivery because I could just sit in the car out back with my employee meal some spuds <laughs> or some buffalo wings and just listen to radio so yeah huge radio dork since I guess 12
0: I didn't know that you ever had a real job. So this is kind of, I was, it was one of the questions I wanted to get to. So you actually did. You were a Boston Blackies guy. I worked it. I, I think that everyone should work in the service industry. So do I. Yeah.
1: I am a huge believer in it. I think it teaches you to have people skills. I think it teaches you uh, to have respect Um, just because it's the service industry and they're serving you. doesn't mean they're servants Who like some people treat them like that. It's fucked.
0: You're calling. You're, you're not better than your waiter, you idiot.
1: Correct. The, you if and if you can afford to have someone else cook your meal and bring you your meal, you can afford to tip. Like, like I hate people who are like, oh, I only tip for good service. Are you out of your mind? They're making a couple dollars an hour and their wages are inflated. I, this isn't Europe. If yeah. we had a different system for tip, so like I tip to-go,
0: I tip vendors at the ball game. I, I I tip everywhere. What do you tip on the to-go order? If you go and you order 40 bucks to-go, what do you give? It, it, it depends. A couple bucks, right.
1: five okay. max, you know what I mean? It's, it, it's not much. Like when, one time a guy I was talking to him about golf. I played high school golf before my back surgery. And we were talking about golf when he was waiting for his order. And he's like, thanks for the conversation. And he slid 20 bucks to me across the, the thing. And he picked up the order and went, you know, it was the North Shore. People had a ton of money, uh, have a ton of money. But like, I, was like, I remembered that guy for years yep. after that. Because it was just so nice. And 20 bucks <laughs> to him meant nothing. And 20 bucks to me was like, I can whatever i can go out to eat and not ask like not you know extra money go to sarks in the morning for a loretta
0: well it meant nothing to him financially but it meant something to him that he wanted to affirm you and say here's twenty dollars i enjoyed the conversation i want you like he was he was telling you to continue on being who you are yeah you're right you're right and and i hadn't thought about it in that way but like to me
1: at the time i was like man what which a, what a nice guy and so i learned i learned a lot working and I, I was a caddy uh i was a sunday school teacher's aide my parents like again like it was the work ethic thing like you know there was allowance and my parents weren't like super stingy with their money or anything like that but you know it wasn't you get a car it was you've got to contribute towards buying the car from your
0: grandma you
1: know what i mean like they they, they instilled the value of a dollar and hard work
0: very very early so it's incredible how similar our upbringing is, and in all of that. I mean, I drove my aunt's Dodge Aries that we bought for 1500 bucks. Sure. I, I delivered, I was a vendor for years. Um, and did you ever overcharge as a delivery man? Because I did, and I feel terrible, terrible about it to this day.
1: <laughs> uh, no, listen, I have delivery <laughs> horror stories. The worst was walking into some like opulent North Shore house with a rug. got to be a five-figure white shag imported rug. It was probably like they like killed some sort of big game in Africa and turned it into a rug, and the bag broke out from under, and the large order of buffalo wings, just the orange sauce, just spilled right onto this rug, oh. and the the wife... <laughs> just lost her mind like screaming at me screaming at her kids (laughs) screaming at her husband like just screaming at everybody and I'm just standing like I'm so sorry I didn't pack the bag but like obviously it's my fault like it's certainly not your child's fault like what the hell's going on and so then like you got to go back to the restaurant you got to get more buffalo wings you got to get a new order you got to go back to the house you got to face them and now it's just like the husband who greets me at the door like there's cleaning supplies all over the rug. He's got the (laughs) tail between his legs. Like, that guy's not going to have sex for the next month. And I was like, God, I don't want to have that kind
0: of life. Yeah, I um, would deliver pizza, and on one delivery, I was hungry. Did I ever tell you the story? No, (laughs) no. That's incredible. Of course, it's about me. (laughs) I'm kidding. I want to hear it. I just wanted to tell you that I took a square in the middle of a pizza and ate it. and, And I figured that, you know, they figured the kid would have eaten the square in the middle. And I got back to the pizza place piero's pizza beautiful ravinia love piero's great spot and the guy's like did you eat a piece of pizza? <laughs> <laughs> and you, like, you deny until uh, you die right deny i'm like N- eat a piece what are you crazy what and it's just like yeah this woman's nuts and i'm like yeah because it, it actually worked out because that's incredible yeah they ate the piece of pizza well um, all right so you've got like money values going on here but yet you're a huge gambler so i want to know how that whole thing started Oh, well, so um, I blame
1: my parents, (laughs) Uh, but my parents basically do legalized gambling, right? That's true. The stock market is legalized gambling. Now, they would say, you know, if you buy Amazon, it could go down, but it's not going to zero, whereas if you bet the bulls plus 12 and they lose by 35, your bet goes to zero. So there is certainly a difference there, but basically I, I have a high risk tolerance Um, I think because of my parents, because under understanding the markets at, at a young age, um, how external factors doesn't mean that like you made a wrong prediction, but right. If you invest in a crop and then an unseasonably cold winter comes and the crops freeze, like your commodity goes down in value, but it doesn't mean that you don't ever want to invest in corn in the future, whatever. Right. right, So like there's an understanding of investment, but I got the itch because, uh, in high school I had, I have uh, scoliosis and I had to have spinal fusion surgery, uh, which I don't recommend for anybody. I, uh, out of school for a month in the hospital for five days, full year recovery. That had to suck. It was miserable. Uh, and and at 10 months post-op, I actually got a post-op staff infection. So they had to do a couple of minor like hold you over surgeries until like one year to the day when the fuse has totally taken and go in and take out the instrumentation. So basically do a six-hour surgery a year after you did the eight-hour surgery to take out the instrumentation. And So I missed a lot of school in high school and um, stopped playing
0: sports in high school. Hold on one second. I don't want you to totally run over this. Were you terrified at that point that you were not going to walk again? It wasn't
1: like that, but it was... I mean, it's just a really painful surgery because like everything like moves in you, like your like your your body just kind of settles into. I literally got two inches taller on the operating table. Wow, you know what I mean. Yeah. So it, it, it's um, it's a it's a really tough surgery, and that's a that's a really shitty time. Not that there's ever a good time, but you know like. You're through puberty, but you're a virgin and it's <laughs> awkward and you wanna to talk to girls and there's prom and turnabout and like <laughs> things like that going on, but like you have no confidence in yourself whatsoever because you're a hundred and ten pounds because you can't exercise and do anything and your friends are playing sports and you can't be physical. It, you know what I mean? It, so it was just a it was a terrible um Thing to have in high school, yeah. like it, especially going to a big high school where you can feel pretty anonymous. I have 4,000 kids at my high school at New Trier, 960 in my graduating class. But I said all of that to, to say what my, my, co- my older cousin, um, he was having some post high school issues, little bit of trouble with the law, nothing serious, just pot, not going to college, just kind of didn't really have his way figured out. Um, He was just turned 20, 20 or 21. And my parents said, come live with us. Your job is to basically hang out with Danny, take care of Danny uh, so that he doesn't have his parents waiting on him when he's a 16 year old boy and in exchange for living with us you've got to go to junior college and that was the that was like the terms of we'll pay for everything we'll pay for you to get here you don't have to whatever and uh, so he set me up, with skylinecasino.com <laughs> my first online gambling service so your parents and, that's and, amazing and, and now, now it was Sean's I mean, it was not my parents money for the gambling but it was my you know it was Sean's $40 initial investment and so he taught me you know it was cool like he was older he had partied he had smoked pot he wasn't a virgin like it was like my cool older friend because I didn't my older brother was for my dad's first marriage is you know uh, I'm 32 now he's in his late 40s so we didn't grow up together we were best men. Each other's weddings and were very close, but he wasn't like formative in my you know upbring like Sean was my older cousin. And so it was great to just like have him there and hang out. And so I had a recliner, had a TV, had Skylinecasino.com. Sean is a Kansas Jayhawks fan from KC. That was the Kirk Heinrich Nick Collison team <laughs> uh, 2003. They were a covering machine, and uh, yeah, so I got I got my I, f- I made my first sports bet at 16 on SkylineCasino.com on the Kansas Jayhawks. Do you remember the actual... I don't remember the first bet, but I remember that NCAA tournament, we ran our account up to... We, bas- we doubled our money in the Final Four. We bet KU against Marquette, the <laughs> Dwayne Wade team. Heinrich shut Wade down. Like, Heinrich <laughs> owned Dwayne Wade. And it was incredible. And so... And I didn't know I was going to go to Syracuse... But so we had seven hundred bucks through three bets: three fifty on Kansas against Cuse, uh, one fifty on a Kirk Heinrich assists prop. I think it was over five and a half assists, and one fifty on over Michael Lee one and a half made threes. I want to say may, Aaron Miles or Michael Lee, one of the two, and. Uh, they're down three at the end of regulation and Heinrich kicks it to Michael Lee in the corner. It would have been Heinrich's sixth assist, Michael Lee's second made three and Hakeem Warwick blocks the shot. And so we lose all three bets. So we lost 700 bucks on on that game. And I was rooting for Kansas against Syracuse. And then two years later, I go to Syracuse.
0: That was a a lot of dough for a high school kid and a great lesson all wrapped up in one and so exciting. Amazing.
1: (laughs) Amazing. So I was totally hooked. It was an incredible tournament betting against Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade. Heinrich ends up being a bull. I get an authentic Heinrich jersey. Loved him on the bulls. Uh, And so yeah, it was but I so I I look at gambling as paying for entertainment. Don't gamble what you can't afford to lose. I'm certainly down in my life from sports gambling. I'm up from poker. I enjoy um, casino games, blackjack, craps, whatever. But it's just, I you know, I, I have three pairs of jeans. I don't have expensive tastes, but I enjoy eating out, and I, I enjoy putting 100 bucks on a game that I don't otherwise care about to make me care about it a little bit more.
0: Got a lot of ways I want to go here, but let's start just since. A hundred on a game. What's the most you ever lost in one single wager?
1: Um, <laughs> I mean, the most I've ever lost was $2,000 at a poker table. Okay. That was
0: awful. I mean, I just saw your full, you've been a smiling guy until I asked that question. <laughs> what well, the other way you
1: remember the bad beats, man. Like yeah. you remember the times where you don't hedge and like you didn't lose like that much money, but you could have won so much more and you could have been smarter. Um, 2014 the royals world series i had a lot of money at 30 to 1 that i made in a bet in june i remember this and yeah. they um, they end up losing in game seven of the world series to madison bumgarner so royals fans are like happy that they won the pennant and like great year best year in 29 years and i'm just sitting there sick to my stomach in the stands at kaufman stadium then, of course, they win the next year when I don't have a bet on them. And then the exact same thing happens with Clemson football and Deshaun Watson. I have them at 30-1 to 1 in 2015. Um, my wife's a Clemson fan and alum. So we go. So I'm like, we're going to the game. So I buy plane tickets. I buy tickets to the game. I'm like. Deshaun Watson's going to beat Bama, and it's going to pay for all of this, and then thousands more, we're (laughs) going to take a vacation after this, (laughs) and they should have won the game, stupid two injuries uh, to Shaq Lawson and Mackenzie Alexander, two pros, OJ Howard kills them, they give up the onside kick and the kick return for the touchdown, Saban panicked because he couldn't stop Deshaun Watson. and lose the game, but of course, win it next year when I don't have a bet on it. So back to back years, I had 30 to one long shots for like huge money and uh, didn't catch either of them. Weren't you tweeting the whole way saying, should I hedge? Should I not hedge the hedging or not hedging? 2014 Royals World Series bet was a not insignificant portion of why our show ended up becoming somewhat as popular as it did in Kansas City. Yeah. yeah. We're skipping around quite a bit here. Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: yes, that's why I was. You're good. You're good. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I mean it's gambling, man. It's the best. So okay, let's let's go back to the chronological. Whatever. Y- you're in high school. Yeah. You're hosting radio shows. You you have this. Uh, you do a fundraiser for what was it again? We did a radiothon for tsunami relief. My senior right. year, the
1: we did. A, so I did a 15 hour broadcast my senior year. Uh, Harry Tynowitz was a guest. <laughs> Mike Greenberg of Mike and Mike fame was a guest. Craig Council was a guest. Uh, the makeup mogul, Bobby Brown, was a new Trier alum. She was a guest. And then the biggest guest, Rod Blagojevich, before he was a criminal. Uh, so we 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 had old Rod call into the show. And... Yeah, it was amazing. I I just fell in love with like the power of radio. It allowed me to do cool things. Like I did play by play from courtside at the United Center with my best friend as the starting point guard of our team, and he was playing uh, against sharon collins before sharon collins went to kansas
0: i'm doing play-by-play at the uc with jordan's banners on the rafters in high school it is unbelievable that oh i have this job so now i'm allowed to talk to you right it was (laughs) it was it was totally and i can go places like one of the first things when i got the job at the
1: score was like can you guys put in for a credential for me for the bulls they were like what (laughs) we have reporters i'm like i don't care (laughs) I would just love to have – I've never been in a market where I can cover the NBA. An NBA locker room, an NBA courtside, like just be there for the warm-ups before the game. I'm like, please? They're like, sure, weirdo. The Bulls
0: suck. And they gave me the credential, and I would just go and watch warm-ups sometimes and go home. I just loved it. See, and that's – here was another tangent. That's one thing that disappoints me about radio people because didn't you get into this from the sports side – Because you love sports and you love being around it, yet when you reach like the holy grail of talk show host or TV guy, then all of a sudden it's, well, I don't need to go out and do that anymore. Don't you like going out there? I don't get it. I like going out there.
1: For some people, it's time and family and the resources at the station. You have reporters. But listen, I think that if you're going to be critical in the commentary world, you should have to show your face and just let the PR staff yell at you let the executive yell at you if a player has an issue let him yell at you or the flip side hopefully it's going well and you can book a guest or network or get some an anecdote you know i'm not saying i go to every game far from it i don't have the time but you know i i go to cubs games on a press pass a dozen times a year i try to go to a couple of bears games a year you know, th- with the time slot change, I, I can't make it for pregame for Bulls, so it's been tougher this year. But I probably went to eight or nine Bulls games when I was in midday's
0: a year. I've been to four or five this year. On pre- I, I just
1: try to show my face if I'm talking about your team.
0: And I also hear from play-by-play guys who say like, I won't go into the locker room because then I'm going to build relationships and then I can't be objective because I like you, and which. People take themselves way too seriously in our business, man. Like, it's way
1: too serious. It's sports, it's games, it's fun, it's entertainment. Yes, it's big business. Yes, it's our careers. But, like, there's a huge problem with people taking themselves too seriously and everything about this business too seriously, like a huge problem.
0: Yeah, that's another right turn that we, I, we'll, just, we'll just whatever leave it. you
1: want, man. I, I'm here all day for you. you I, know, got, I got no, all the time in the no, world. No,
0: I, I got it. And and yes, it's true. You're you're. Uh, it's great that you have this job. Congratulations, and you've worked incredibly hard to get it. But yes, at the end of the day, let's. You're you're not running the country. You're talking into a microphone and you're trying to entertain people.
1: Correct, and I just how seriously some people take themselves and like how angry people get. And like, okay, listen, I get it. Fan is short for fanatic. So if you're a white Sox fan who didn't like my stunt, when I showed up at the white Sox game in Cubs gear with my Chicago wants Machado sign in Cubs colors for the sign and it went viral and got into the newspapers and it made around the horn and whatever. I just thought it was funny. I, I, I didn't go on a press pass. I paid for a ticket. I sat, the 10th row behind the Orioles dugout was readily available. And I I just thought it was funny. And it went viral. And some of the newspapers recognized who I was. And so they credited me. Some people were just like Cubs fan in Chicago. So I thought that was funny because like I was still anonymous, right? If, if David Kaplan does that, everybody knows it's David Kaplan. So I, I was new in the market. I, I just thought it was funny to like kind of Poke the bear a little bit from within, the, inside the establishment. I enjoy that about my job, that I have the ability to do that. Like, I can break a news story. I can get a press pass. But really, it's just commentary and fun and entertainment. But some people to this day, journalists, executives, fans, just think that that was so wildly inappropriate and unprofessional that they won't talk to me. Like it's it's insane to me. I'm like, really? It was it was a it was a twenty dollar ticket and like fifty bucks at Kinko's and we had beers and ate churros after the picture went viral on social media and we enjoyed a baseball game.
0: Yeah, I was insanely jealous, was like, why the hell did I not think of that? That's why Parkins is ahead of you, Carmen. Do something like that. That's what, and then I would hear from people like, I can't believe you would do that. What do you mean? That was brilliant. I wish I would have thought of it. Well, it, it's just harmless, right? Har- and so people are like, oh, wow,
1: what a stunt you pulled. Yeah, okay. What, stunt a pejorative, like it's, yeah, you're right. I did. There's no marketing budget in radio anymore. People were talking about it. It got attention. No one was harmed. It was funny. And if you
0: don't think it was
1: funny, okay.
0: I'm a radio guy. I'm trying to get attention. I'd like the people to listen to me and know who I am. There's nothing wrong with that. And, it I, and, and it's just
1: and it's and it's a funny message. And, there, there's, there, there's there's there was layers to it that you yeah. could that Machado wasn't coming to Wrigley, but the Cubs were linked to him in that John Heyman report, and he's friends with Albert Almora. So the only way to get to him was to go to a Sox game, and then the Sox end up being the team that pursues him. Like I just I just thought it was funny and harmless, and some people agreed and some people
0: didn't, and that's why. For the record, I said at the time that uh, if he's coming here, he's going to come to the Sox. The Cubs have no money. The White Sox should be in on it. The White Sox were in on it. Yeah, good I, w- I I wouldn't have paid him personally, but I'm probably wrong about that. Maybe you should. They maybe they should have. I mean, they they obviously wanted to. Like yeah. they, they
1: obviously wanted to pay him. They yeah. just
0: messed up. All right. Uh, so let me let's go back to Syracuse. Sure. You, you go to Syracuse. Did you go there because you knew that everyone who goes to Syracuse there's a huge network. This is going to help me, or did you sort of fall into that? No, I knew I, uh, now everybody who goes to Syracuse for
1: broadcast journalism doesn't ultimately end up being successful in broadcast journalism. And that was like, like mortifying to me because, um, like it goes back again to like the success of your parents and understanding the value of money and understanding how much that costs. And like, I applied to three schools. I applied to Mizzou, USC and Syracuse because I asked the college counselor, what are the 10 best journalism schools in the country? I crossed off the ones that didn't have sports programs, and then I crossed off Northwestern because I wanted to go away from home. Um, and Mizzou had an automatic acceptance. And I was lazy. I've been lazy with pretty much everything in my life other than radio and like my career. And I didn't want to do all the college application stuff. And if you got a 26, you were on your ACT, you were guaranteed to get into Mizzou. If you got a 30 on your ACT, you were guaranteed to get into Mizzou honors with financial aid. So I was like, awesome. Like Mizzou's my whatever safety school where I don't have to do other college applications. Right. And but Syracuse, when you go and you do the tour and then they show you like where the student radio station is and they say, but it's actually a professional radio station. It's an NPR jazz station, but the students run the sports department and there's a budget that allows you to send two play-by-play guys and a talk show staff member as the sideline reporter and then the post-game show reporter to every game, home and away for Big East football and basketball and the NCAA tournament and bowl games and Bob Costas and Mike Tirico and Marv Albert's pictures are on the wall, I was just like, this is incredible. And so if you know what you want to do in high school and it's this, and if you have the means financially and the grades to get in, it's just kind of a no-brainer. And with Syracuse, I, I would say that of what I use from Syracuse to this day, Maybe 5% of it came from the classroom, and 95% of it came from the two student radio stations and just being around the competitiveness of it. There were cuts from the radio station freshman year. You get, you got cut if you weren't good enough, and then if you were good enough to make the sports staff at de, WAER... Um, your reward was you had to show up to do the 5 a.m. and the 6 a.m. sportscast. And you'd imagine in college that weeds a lot of people out who aren't willing to wake up that early. And so the people that I was surrounded with on the talk show staff at W A R, um, my sophomore year, the guy who was running the staff, one of my best friends to this day, we try to talk once a week. He was a groomsman in my wedding, Nick Wright of Fox Sports 1. The junior class, Andrew Filippone, who does afternoons in Pittsburgh, Mike Meltzer, who does mornings in Houston, and then me in the sophomore class. Obviously, now afternoons in Chicago. We still have group texts where we send each other segments, questions. What'd you think of this interview? And we've helped each other throughout our careers.
0: It's huge, and that's by the way. That's. You, for anybody who's still listening to this podcast, that's my connection to you because I was in Kansas City working on Nick Wright's show. Yeah, And then you came in to do at nine to 11 to start, yep. which then turned into middays, which then eventually turned into afternoons. Correct. That's how that went. Yeah.
1: They we were, they were still airing Jim Rome 11 to noon. So I, so just to do the quick chronology of, so yeah, uh, radio in high school, go to Syracuse, do four years at Syracuse, graduate in 09. The economy has obviously tanked. There's hiring freezes. I can't get a job anywhere. Graduating from Syracuse. I'm unemployed for 10 months, live with four buddies from high school, uh, right on, basically right next to the Sheridan Redline stop. You know what I mean? A block and a half north of Murphy's. So going to Cubs games, selling my friends parking spots for money, supporting myself playing poker, just being a total pothead degenerate. And um, go back to Syracuse for my first gig the station that I interned with in Syracuse in college decided they wanted to add local programming. I produced the 10 to noon show in exchange to be able to host the Danny Parkin show from noon to two, made $9 an hour. My big negotiating win was instead of paying me for four hours a day, they pay me for six hours a day, two for prep, two to produce, two to host. Uh, the poker money had dried up, lived with two random dudes from Craigslist, tail between my legs back in Syracuse after graduating from there and thinking I was going to get a big market job right out of the top journalism school, I was an idiot. Uh, do the Syracuse thing for 10 months professionally, get the job in KC, big break, health insurance, 30k a year, uh, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. That is a huge
0: break at that point. You're making $54 a day just to do the math. You yep. don't know what's coming, and to get launched to market 30, whatever it is, home of the Royals,
1: NFL market. Uh, uh-huh. My mom's family. My mom's family is from KC, so I have that support system. My grandma, my aunt, my grandma, grandpa, my cousins, my aunt and uncle are in KC, so I have some familiarity. With, and Nick, right? And, and Nick is is doing afternoon, so I have him as an advocate. He's one of my best friends in the world. Show me the town. Endorse me to the audience. Could not have landed in a better. That's incredible. M- Mid market spot, um, but still think that I'm gonna go to Cleveland or Minneapolis or Detroit or Miami or any city that's bigger than 32 and smaller than market three to just keep career hopping and job hopping in order to work my way up to Chicago. But KC treated me really well. And the audience over time embraced me and I stopped sucking a little bit, you know, and got okay at the job and the Royals got good as a miracle And so I went from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. to they decided to go live and local and blew out Jim Rome, went 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. That's when they added Carrington Harrison, who you had worked with. He was the call screener and an intern on Nick's show. Hashtag CDOT. Hashtag CDOT. That's my boy. And uh, we did 10 a.m. to 2 p. And then eventually Nick had left. They put in an afternoon show after Nick that, didn't work. I had lobbied to get that job after Nick. They didn't give it to me. I was pissed. (laughs) Uh, Then the show that they did replace Nick with didn't work. Then they put me in Carrington in Afternoons. And uh, we did Afternoons for four years. And we're the first show at that station to ever beat the competition, other than Nick, who beat them one month in April with Royals opening day in the book. And he would have beat them. For forever, if he would have stayed, but he was way too big for for KC to stay, and so we won from basically all of 2015 and all of 2016, and then January of 2017
0: is when I started uh, at the score with Matt Spiegel. So, okay, what a journey here. And now, if I go back into Kansas City time, and you kind of poking at the bear and being trying to get yourself known. What happened with the Royals' ownership when you weren't there very long at the time? Can we talk about that? Yeah, we can talk about it. Of course we can. We can talk about it whatever you want. Um, like,
1: I am a huge believer, like I said, of being the person who, like, you're a voice of the fan, right, in sports talk radio. Like The columnist is the opinion guy, the beat writer is the information guy, the sports talk radio host is the columnist and voice of the fan guy. It's like a little bit of a hybrid job. You can break news, you can be a strong opinion person, and then you can reflect the voice and the sentiment of the fan back onto people The power structure, right? So if I'm interviewing John Paxson, I'm a Bulls fan. I've got my own issues and I ask those questions, but it's also reflective of the audience. Like that's how I see the job. So in Kansas City, um, I'm on the home of the Royals. I'm making 30K. It's 2012. The All-Star Games in Kansas City. David Glass is the least popular owner in sports, arguably at the time. Uh, they have not spent any money. They have been on the receiving end of revenue sharing his entire time. as owner, he is of Walmart fortune. So the thing was that he ran the team like Walmart. And even though there were prospects on the come and it was a happy time because the All-Star game was in town, David Glass had not done a live radio interview since he had hired Dayton Moore, his general manager, like eight years prior. Right. And so David Glass. So we're doing the show from FanFest. And, um, David Glass is walking through and I say to my intern, dude named Kel Dansby, who's doing MMA, UFC stuff out in Vegas. Great guy. Hey, Kel, that's the owner of the Royals. Go see if he'll come on the home of the Royals. Kel does exactly what I says, walks up to him, Mr. Glass, home of the Royals, 610, would you come on for an interview? Says, sure. It's
0: all happening live on the air. No, wow. break, no breaks. So you did not go through the Royals, which I think is very interesting.
1: I did not go through the Royals. I did not Just go through my boss. I did not have any time to prep.
0: And so he walks over. They would have said no for the record would be my guess. But go ahead. 100%. Yeah.
1: I didn't feel it, but it, I got a text message, but I did not feel a vibration. And I certainly didn't check my phone. That'll be relevant to the story in a minute. David Glass comes over. He picks up the microphone live in segment. I ask him a question about the all-star game and being in town, whatever. And after I've asked him my one fluff question, it's into Royals financials. When are we spending money? Um, And I like two or three questions in, and then I ask him, would you be willing to operate at a loss in order to field a winner? And if not, have you considered selling the team?
0: Oh, you went all the way to sell the team. I forgot that, about. that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, it had been in the
1: paper, like, a month before <laughs> that the Cerner people who own Sporting Kansas City, the soccer team, and the healthcare company, they were on the record that they wanted to buy the Royals if it ever came for sale. So, like, it was in the news stream that maybe one day David Glass who got the Royals for less than a hundred million would be interested in cashing out for 2 billion. Right. And so I asked him if he'd be willing to sell the team and doesn't say anything. And he just puts the microphone on the table and he gets up and there's a crowd of people watching the owner of the Royals. And I just buy play by play. And I'm like, and he's putting his microphone down and David Glass is walking away. Okay. And at this moment, it's now hit me. What's just happened? The billionaire owner of the Royals has walked off the stage at the All-Star Game in front of a live audience. And I'm making 30K a year. And I throw it a break, I look in my phone, and the text messages from my boss. Be careful. Be gentle. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a. That's the third text. That's, call the, that's the third text. Is <laughs> is call me. Call him during the break. He is not happy. He says we do not reference it when you come back from break. Carry on with the show, and then come back to the studio when you're done.
0: Oh my god! By the way, this this boss is. Um, not the friendliest individual on the planet. I was terrified.
1: <laughs> but I also disagreed. I was like, wait, you want us to not... And so like, I pushed yeah. back. I'm like, not reference it. Not talk. You want us to just not talk about what just happened on the air? He's like, do not talk about it. So I follow his orders. Pretend like it doesn't happen. How much more show do you have left? Less than an hour. Okay. Not much. Not easy right there. But not easy. Not yeah. five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Go in and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gay I'm in the GM's office. First time I had been in his office since the day that I got hired. Um, I've been told that they will not make me write an apology letter, which is good because there's a chance I would have died on that Hill. Um, however, the questioning was inappropriate given the time and place. I was suspended and I had my credential pulled for the uh, rest of the baseball season, the next baseball season and the all-star game. So I couldn't go to the home run derby. I really wanted to go to the home run derby. (laughs) Did you Uh, pay for a ticket? Did not pay for a ticket. Uh, It was a
0: matter of principle.
1: Okay. (laughs) And yeah, so Sucked man and well and the worst the worst part about it
0: how long they suspend you for a couple days Okay,
1: the worst part about it was um When the GM when I was defending the line of questioning the GM I said this guy's got a 0% approval rating I'm asking the questions that a fan would want asked By the GM turned to the boss the PD who's in the meeting. He said is it debatable? David Glass has an approval rating of zero and he goes, Oh, it's absolutely debatable. And I looked at him and was like, What? No, it isn't. What do you <laughs> and so he just he threw the bus in reverse and backed up over me. And anybody who knows anything about this business, like they want you to push it to the limit, they push it to the line. They know occasionally you'll step over it. And it's a good program director's job. His job is to defend you, even if he has to discipline you it's it's supposed to stop like he's accountable for you on the air because he puts you on the air and he's got to defend his talent to the sponsors or the teams or whomever and that's why Mitch Rosen is such an unbelievably good boss and why this guy uh, lost my trust in that moment because maybe I shouldn't have asked the question on the home of the Royals and maybe I didn't have the cachet to ask the question even though the questions were valid but to say that where they were coming from wasn't journalistically sound was just factually inaccurate. And, um, yeah. So, so I almost got fired after a few months in to get in my big break. So that is enraging. Uh, first of all... I guess it was a little bit over... Yeah, but it, relatively early. Yeah, it was enraging.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's an enrager. First of all, you, um... It sounds to me like that gentleman and I have my own issues with that gentleman so I'm trying to see this as clearly as possible here but it's like he he at that point did not like you and was willing to get rid of you and and was using that almost as as ammo cuz there's no way at that point in time that D- David Glass had a less than 0% he was it was of course. it was negative
1: dude it was I mean it was honestly <laughs> And I look at this, I, you know, some of my, maybe my bosses won't love me saying it or whatever, but, like, sometimes you have to, like I said, poke the bear, push authority, and, like, anything short of getting fired is okay. You know what I mean? Like, like I didn't get fired, but in the audience's mind, that was huge for me. I went to FanFest, you know, the next day. And people were stopping me to tell me, like, thank you for holding David Glass accountable. Like, it went a little... Vi- Twitter was a thing. It was just starting. Some blogs wrote about it. And, like, it it was the first thing, other than the Kyle Davies drinking game, uh, <laughs> that I had that, like, like kind of like, cut through and went viral and... um kind of made a little bit of a name for myself as someone who will ask the questions on behalf of fans.
0: Yeah, congratulations. Huge win. What was the Kyle Davies drinking game? Home runs? Walks? What was
1: it? It was everything. (laughs) It was was like if he made it past the third inning, like you had to finish (laughs) your beer. Like he was, was, they were so bad and he had an ERA over five and he was leading the league in walks and they just had no answer because they weren't willing to call up any prospects. So they just kept trotting his ass out there and it was a gas can. He was terrible. Your,
0: Your standard fifth starter. I think I went to bat for Kyle Davies and then he like a good run for like two months that or sounds right that sounds <laughs> kyle right kyle davies is underrated damn it all yeah. right um okay so let's let's go to the score yeah you, you you start out with matt spiegel and you guys did not exactly hit the ground running what changed as far as the two of you like getting along and building chemistry
1: so much man
0: um i love speaks
1: speaks is amazing he um He knows who he is and, like, why he is the way he is, which is, like, self-awareness is such a big thing. So I say that, like, as a compliment. Like, his strengths, his weaknesses, his um, things that he's confident with, his insecurities. Like, he just knows who he is. He'll talk about it. He'll say, you know, all the siblings that he has. So he had to get along with everybody. And he's had so many different radio partners. So he has to get along with everybody. And when I came into the score, it was a tough spot for him because he had been doing middays for nine years at first as you know the danny mac show and then he gets his name put on with mac but he's riding shotgun to mac and then when mac was going through his stuff with addictions and leave of absences like he would work with 10 12 13 he he said the other day on the air that he's literally had since he's been at the score he's done a show with at least one show, with 31 different co-hosts. That's amazing. And because he's such a pro, he makes all of them not only passable, he makes them good. Um, Now, varying degrees of good and reps and all that, but he... I don't think he would mind me saying that. Rightfully so, after all of that, thought that he had deserved and earned... Whether it be the right to drive the show and or the right to... If not, pick his partner. Have a say in his partner. He felt like he had earned that, and he did not know who I was. I mean, he knew who I was. We had met once. We had communicated via DM a couple of times. I was a fan of the show with him and Mac. Um, But he didn't know me, and he certainly and I'm you know much younger than him, and I was being brought in to be the driver. So it was like a you know so. It, And I came in hot. You know what I mean? I came in, like, got to prove myself, going, you know, 60 miles an hour out of the chute. And so we just didn't clash. Like, I was trying to prove myself. He was, he needed me to calm down and, like, let it happen naturally. And I should have. He was totally right. Um, And there was just, we we just weren't, we were just butting heads. And, And we didn't. He disliked me? I didn't dislike him at all. We just had very different approaches. To, we hadn't we didn't figure it out yet. Like how early do you get there? How much of the show should we do before the show in terms of planning? Should we figure it all out on the air? Who if, if you want to tease, that's totally fine even though I'm technically the driver. If you want to throw to a break cuz it's your topic, no problem. But like like so all of those things just needed to be worked out. And um it happened and it happened naturally and people made a huge deal of it because we were so honest with it and i think and and my philosophy is like steer into the skid. like if we have an awkward segment and it's like the segment supposed to be 14 minutes and like we've like hit a brick wall after eight minutes it's like oh <laughs> this is awkward <laughs> like i i enjoy that like i it's, it's live radio right we're just two dudes talking and and so like So people were like, wow, you guys didn't like each other, or wow, there was tension, or wow, there was awkwardness. Yeah, man, it's weird to talk to someone who you don't know for four hours a day (laughs) with tens of thousands of people listening at any given moment. And, you know, we have a—I mean, how much of an age—we have a decade-plus age gap, and he is—he's a— Professional musician who's performed over twenty five hundred different songs live, and I can name less than twenty five songs. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, like we're different, and yeah. so people are like, "Wow, it took you guys a while to find your chemistry." Yeah, it. A- we actually found our chemistry remarkably faster than most people would have, because I I think that show got good. Like, I loved that show, loved that show, and um, I love speaks. We, I mean, I was at his wedding. It was a very small wedding. I just did a segment with him two nights ago. Um, my wife and his wife are friends. Like, I, I love Speaks. Love him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I was, I want to give myself credit that I was on the early run. Parco, the show sounds good. I mean, I, I... You've always been a fan and someone to...
1: I, I talk about, I've, I've never told you this, but um, you're you're a very good friend. And we haven't hung out as much as I would like to since I've been back in Chicago. We, our schedules are different and whatever, but you are useful to me more than you would maybe know in my career because I am so competitive and so driven and Nick and I talk a lot. And so like mm-hmm. Nick is the person that I talk to the most about this world that we're in. And Nick is, you know, he's a superstar, right? He is, in, he is the 1% of the 1%. And I think I'm pretty good, and I'm pretty successful, and I'm pretty young. And so maybe I'm in the top 10 percentile of the industry. What You know what I mean? Whether you're talking about income, job, what, whatever I am, right? And and because of that competitiveness, it's natural to sometimes, like, A, compare myself to Nick, but also, like, that's healthy. Like, I, I want to always be striving to bigger, better, best. More money. Compare myself to Levitard, Nick, Bomani, Scott Van Pelt. Like, the 0.1% of the field. And you, who have often are like, smell the roses, man. You would kill to be making what you're making in this city two years ago, two months ago, five years ago. Like, it's not about complacency, but you are more... When I talk to you and you are listening... And you're an advocate You are you will help ground me a little bit With like perspective Whereas when I talk to Nick He'll say some of the same things But he knows that I'm wired like he's wired Like that it's always about the next thing And it's about the To make the show bigger Oh we, we beat Waddle and Sylvie Awesome How come we're not number one Oh, we beat Waddle and Sylvie for a ratings book. How come we haven't done it for a year? Why isn't the show on TV? Like, like how come we don't have every big name guest at all? You know, like why aren't we the show of record? Yeah. Why why don't we have a 10 share? Like, you know, it's it's always the next thing. And you have a you talking to you sometimes helps me appreciate the journey a little bit more.
0: Right. So even though I struggle with it still. Well, and I I listen, anybody who is Highly successful, but is, I love you is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I love you back, Marco. And this, this, this here's the thing, I do uh, w- like like to give you a reality check, dude. You are on WSCR in your hometown. That's what you always wanted. You were doing whatever you doing. midday's now you're doing afternoons. You're making good money. Obviously, everybody wants to make more, but you're, you're so it's like, come on, man. And then the other side of it is we're like, I see, I find out about your national show. At 3 in the morning, I wake up, <laughs> I check Twitter, Parco's going national, and it's literally keeps me up all night where I'm like, fucking compete try to beat him tr- just like you're trying to beat whoever and i i mean i think all that's brilliantly healthy and you you have to have that and so i'm happy that i can bring you the other side of it but so i'm i'm just giving it back like i appreciate like it i like seeing what you do and and because it it motivates me man
1: well that's awesome and i appreciate that i man i i love the job i love it it's crazy to me that we get to do it i i love working hard and i you know i I wish I was more like maybe I'm not naturally talented enough to just like roll out of bed and do it. I that's just not how I am. I got to watch everything, read everything, text people who know more about it than me to try to be informed. Like, you know, I'll text. I don't think he'd care if I said like I'll I'll text Jeff Passan, who's a good buddy of mine, just for like background of like, help me understand the contract process with this or whatever. You know what I mean? Just to be as informed as I possibly can. And so I, I just, so people make fun of me at the score for getting in early or working hard. I don't know. I, I, I love it. I just love it. I love the job. I well, really do. Well, okay. And listen, some of, some not all of them and it's not malicious, but like, you know, like I get in, I get in early for the afternoon show. I'm, I, I put in my I put in my eight plus hours every day at the station is my goal.
0: Well, you you got to be ready to play, man. That's what I try to you do. So, and that's an, another thing, by the way, that you don't want to. Let me can I put that in tennis terms, Parker. You don't want to step on the court not having warmed up, baby. That's the, what I try to do, man. B- ball's coming at you. That's right. what. That, yeah, people are like, "Why is Parkins giving takes around the station before the show?"
1: <laughs> because I'm practicing. <laughs> because i I want you to push back on me and give me the devil's advocate uh, point of view that i'm going to hear from the text line or a caller or from a co you know what i mean like it's yeah now maybe i don't need to do that and that's like neuroses or or whatever but i that's how i am i just i i prep i practice who's the best
0: at pushing back on you oh
1: man um when I get a chance, Burnsy. Yeah. You know, I I, I like sparring with Burnsy. Um, you're, you're talking about non co-hosts. Like yeah. Not, you know, because Mac and I will do it on the air, and and Spieg's and I did it on the air. So like non people that I actually get to do it with on the air. Yeah. Probably Burnsy.
0: Interesting. Uh. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk, Danny Mac. Yeah. S- so,
1: but I'll, anyway, I just I want to make that. I think I did. But I I yeah. love Matt Spiegel, and I loved <laughs> that, and I loved that show, and those guys. Ser- seriously, man. Like it was. That that show, and we'll talk as much Mac as you want, but I just, I, that show will always be special to me because it was my first show in Chicago and it was successful and none of us did anything wrong and just like things happened and things changed. But I... I jay campy the i'm fat podcast those guys shout out like min yeah. and, and speaks like he'll be my friend for life but well, anyway mac
0: well and and for the record at the time like i think you loved the concept that you were getting promoted correct me if i'm wrong on any of this promoted afternoons work with mac all that type of stuff but like the other there's a large party he's like look man i just got here we have a successful show i'm in middays we're doing well i'm perfectly content to stay right here Right? Hell yeah, of course. I didn't push
1: for it. I didn't know it was happening. Like, you know, Mac was coming back and Mac wanted to do afternoons and Mac was not going to work with Bernstein and he had already worked with Spiegel and he wanted to work with me and we had we had a new boss's boss who made changes, which is subjective and I could have just as easily been out as been in. And the only reason I was in was because Mac wanted to work with me, and it was—it's a totally subjective, crazy business. But yeah, I could have done Spiegel and Parkins in middays for ten years. You know what I mean? And and and, may, and like maybe I would have been like gotten the itch to push for afternoons or a second gig to challenge myself, which ended up being the national show that you alluded to on, on Sunday nights. So like, but I hadn't felt like we had, like I didn't feel like we were done. You know, and I, so I wasn't bored with that show at all. I was, I had, I'd been back in Chicago for a year. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, and, and like people, are like, oh, you got promoted to afternoons? Like, yeah, I guess technically, but like my contract didn't change. They didn't give me an extra dime. They just, they just moved my <laughs> ass to afternoons. Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, you now this better work, or you know, like, so when I when I signed my second contract at the Score, that was like the validating moment where it was like, holy shit, right? Now I now they've actually said okay it wasn't a mistake to hire you they've given you a raise and it wasn't a mistake to put you in the most prominent time slot you can argue that afternoons at the score is the best piece of radio real estate in the country like the fan is obviously a bigger station um WIP maybe bills more and Philly fans are crazy or whatever but like we got the Cubs you get day games in your time slot afternoons on the afternoons on the score with the Cubs being good is arguably the best piece of radio real estate in the country so I am unbelievably lucky to have it and it's you know what is it like preparation meets opportunity you know what I mean like so like I but so lucky to to be in this spot and if a hundred things don't break the exact right way I'm still doing afternoons in Kansas City. You know? Like, it's 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 just a crazy job. Well, And sh- sh- shit, if something breaks poorly <laughs> the first time and they fire me for the David Glass question, who knows what the hell I'm
0: doing? Right, right. Well, but it's, it's all the journey, man. It's crazy, man. I love it. But anyway, back to Mac. So, yeah. So he's said numerous times on the air, I'm on the back nine, Parco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, and he's historically been a driver. So yeah. now he's playing the two role. He's, he's, he's I mean, theoretically, I would think less motivated or certainly not, you know, 35 year old Dan McNeil trying to prove himself. So, and, and then there's you, you got you talking about age difference between you and Spiegel, you got a huge age difference between you and Mac Yeah, and references and movies and whatnot. I know you guys are buying, uh, bonding around rounders, (laughs) but so, but, but it's all, it's a whole nother game, a whole nother game. Um, Mac
1: is, you know, He's my first favorite radio host. Like I had to get over with him, like not calling him sir. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean. Like not that I called him sir when I was an intern for him, because he would have never stood for that. But like I literally interned for him. I literally like went out and did his food orders. Like I, I parked his car. You know what I mean? Like he and he treated interns great. Like he was that was you know that was pre market crash. Peak of radio powers, his salary was in the papers, like taking guys to Hawaii with his bonus checks. Like, Dan McNeil is arguably the best radio host in the history of this city, you yeah. know? Like, so, like, I mean, he did, he had the heavy fuel crew and Mac Yurko and Harry, right? And, like, McNeil and Spiegel was good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like if if that's his third best show and now I'm his fourth sports show when he says he's on the 15th hole of his career or whatever, like that guy still has a fastball. Um, Is the fastball out for every Cubs topic? (laughs) No. And he would admit it like, you know, he doesn't love he called. What does he say? He. He doesn't like extracting mundane thoughts from uninteresting twenty-five-year-olds, <laughs> like like when we're doing like interviews with players, like you know <laughs> what I mean. Like he's like
0: he. It's, it's not so, such a vintage comment by yeah.
1: Um, he's the best, and like he's and so he but and Max always Max to me Max's best gift and the thing that I take from him the most is that he is honest and he's himself unapologetically he has dealt with his demons on the air. He's talked about the trials of his life on the air. He's talked about the successes of his life on the air. Like if you listen to Dan McNeil, you know who Dan McNeil is good sides, bad sides and everything in between. He wears his heart on his sleeve and he's a giving emotional, wildly talented man who sometimes I don't know which version of him is walking in the door that day. You know what I mean? Like it's a, so like, it's just a thing. Like, does he have a hundred thoughts on sports today? Sometimes does he want to just talk about movies and guy talk and random stuff to edit? Yeah, sometimes. And like, it's everywhere in between, but he's, you know, when we started the job together, he said, I look at it as a, a rock band with two lead singers. And as we like quickly settled in, he's like, you know, I, I like the shooting guard analogy more. Like you are clearly super motivated, and we had a, we had to have a heart to heart, and we talked about it on the air, where because you know me and like and work ethic, and like if, if I don't feel like it's being reciprocated, it's a problem for me. But Mac brings so much value, just in terms of talent, history, stories. He's a, he's a fucking legend. That it doesn't need to be the same type of prep. Like I'm totally cool figuring it out on the air. We say what's going to happen in the meeting, but we didn't just move on. And we don't talk a lot before the show. And I'm totally cool with that. I was not cool with that with Carrington and Mm -hmm. Speaks and I, but Mac has those pelts on the wall. But what's great with Mac and is we had a heart to heart where he was like, you got to loosen up a bit, like loosen your grip on the wheel. And I was like, totally cool. I get it. You're right. That's been a complaint or a criticism. Mike. you're right for me you got to understand that this is my shot like remember how I heard the stories like remember when you were throwing carts against the wall and being competitive for guests and making demands of management to get your producer and hitting the post and being out on the right time and, and like remember like that like that was when you were proving yourself. Man, I I haven't gotten a second contract. I'm not, I no one knows who the fuck I am compared to you. Like I so I like, this is my shot. If this show fails, like there's no guarantee that I'm in Chicago media a- after this, right? And like that's how I have to approach it. And he really respected that and it resonated and so we now have a great understanding I think of like yeah, he's on the 15th hole. But Dan McNeil on the 15th hole is better than 99% <laughs> of fucking radio hosts including me on the on the front end, you know? And he understands though that like he like Mac loves me. I was in his intern, he sees me as part of his tree. He sees a lot of himself in me. He sees a lot of his son in me. And so he knows that like he's got to be there and bring it for me so that this show is successful so that when he retires whenever that is and he gets his Terry Bohr's send-off which he deserves whenever that is whether it's in a year five years or 15 years that the show was successful enough that I can stay and am established enough to take it after him so I, I still have a lot to learn from Mac and I hope to do afternoons at the score you know
0: for 20 years 25 years whatever so I'm just seeing how it could be a, a huge gift that he's actually on the fifteenth hole that he that he's bringing that perspective of being there. Like I'm, I'm thinking to to your John Paxson interview, where you were asking the toughest questions and Mac was kind of trying to balance it. And I and I I think that, Mac got in some good questions in that interview, and he did. He absolutely did. Yeah. So he's so he's I'm just so I'm hearing like a guy who Mac doesn't have
1: the you know sports aren't going to make him mad anymore. Right? And, like he, you know, he uh, he does he's got that perspective. Once in a blue moon is what I would guess. Yeah, yeah, right. And but that's okay. Like but you that, that, don't that, that, That's a, and, and, and by the way, sports don't make me mad every day. Right. Like you don't hear me on there ranting and raving. We were just talking about how people take themselves too seriously, but I'm a Bulls fan. <laughs> and the reputation of the Bulls does upset me. And when I get the president of the Bulls on, okay, you got Otto Porter. Great. I want to talk about the big picture reputation stuff with your team. If you don't want to answer those questions, fine. But like, that's so, you know, I I think that if Mac felt that way, he would have pushed in that direction. But what's been amazing with it is like, I mean, Mac said that the the toughest person that he's ever had to, as he calls it, take the blade to has been John Paxson because he really liked him and they had an off air relationship. And he's like, I wouldn't call us friends, but he's like, uh, he's like, he said, he's the toughest guy that he's ever had to be critical of on the air for him personally, because he really likes him. But I told him before the interview, I was like, I'm going to, I got to ask these reputation questions. He's probably not going to like it. I'll do it as fair as I can. And
0: he didn't flinch. Okay, so you do gotta re- do what you gotta do. Do you regret anything from that interview? No. Yeah, that was a great interview Yeah, I did too. Oh, uh, all right We've gone a deep dark dive here Parco. Let me has, has let, it been dark. Uh, no, it's been beautiful I I've I've really enjoyed just connecting and, and and hearing the journey I got a zillion other questions that I've been asked. So let me just wrap up with a couple here uh, What's I'll, the most I'll be quick. What's the most athletic thing you've ever done? I want to pick at your, <laughs> your <laughs> uh,
1: You know <laughs> birdies yeah birdie birdies on a golf course how many birdies do you think you've had in your life i don't know double digits really yeah i used to be i used to shoot in the 80s in in high school yep. i played high school golf um so you yeah, birdies probably uh eighth grade won the uh, the rec league basketball title that's huge yeah it was fun anybody <laughs> didn't make the travel team so you know the best 12 players weren't in rec league but i was you know 13th or 14th best and uh, my team won the title in eighth grade another similarity which bothers me to this day I should have been on the team go ahead I should have been on the team (laughs) I and I had a walk-off bunt in the uh, world series of the sixth grade world series I couldn't hit I was the 11th hitter on the order but I was an amazing bunter and pretty fast so everyone knew I was bunting
0: infield was in Still got that bunt down. Guy came in from third, and uh, we won. See, now that bothers me. That's a whole other topic right there. Your head coach, even if you're the manager or whatever, he, he should have had you swing away. This is, you're 11, you should be learning to swing, not doing what you do best in bunting. You play to win the game. That would take a, that would be a great Hour on the score. Yeah. You, you you let the kid grow. It's not about winning at eleven. It's about I I, understand. I called my own bunt. Uh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And I would have grabbed you say, You are not bunting, young Danny. Yeah. Swing away. You're gonna be a baseball player, not gonna be a little bunter. All right, but <laughs> congratulations on winning that game. Hey, you asked. Uh two more. Who's your who's your favorite interviewer? If you could interviewer. Yes. Who who, who do you who do you think out there does the best job getting the most out of who they're talking to? Levitard. Yeah. Well, is the gold standard of our industry right now. I mean, obviously, like
1: in sports, Howard Stern. People don't get it. He's playing and he's playing a different game, because, and it doesn't mean that ha- it doesn't. It's not to say that Howard Stern isn't a great interviewer. He is. I love Howard Stern. I pay for the app. I listen to every interview that's on the app. I've heard all of them, some of them many times. But Howard Stern is a more famous than 98% of the people that he's interviewing. B, he makes more money than 98% of the people that he's interviewing. None of the interviews are on the phone. They're all in studio on a couch and they're all at least an hour. It's a different power dynamic. like The interviewee is trying to impress the interviewer. With, like, the last 10 years of Howard Stern interviews. So they're amazing interviews. Don't get, like, listen to the the, the first time Seinfeld was on. Listen to the Steve Martin interview. Listen to the Jamie Foxx interview. Like, those are some of the greatest interviews I've ever heard in radio. But it's just, it's not an attainable thing because he's Howard fucking Stern. Um, Lebitard, God, I could, t- I could do an hour podcast on why that show is genius. But his thing is... I work for the audience, but I also work for whatever I am interested in. And if a guest is offended by a line of questioning, he doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care if it gets awkward. Like, I think I steer into the awkwardness. He fucking takes a Ferrari into the... Like, he loves bathing in s- silence or hang-ups or, or whatever. Like, he will just ask, they asked Dion Sanders on the air if he had a sex addiction and he didn't. They're like, we heard uh, you had a sex addiction. And he's like, man, I ain't got no sex addiction. I, I like sex as much as you or the next person. And he was like, okay, that was pretty awkward for us. Bad job by our research department. Let's move on. And he just didn't give a shit. Like it was incredible. And he just, the guy has an ability to poke and prod and, and but, but not in an annoying way, in a relatable way. He's very empathetic. He's great at getting people to tell stories of, you know, like where they came from and their upbringing and their challenges and their low points, and he's just Levitard's show is nothing short of brilliant.
0: I completely agree. I and there's another guy that, by the way, that doesn't take it overly seriously. Likes to have fun with sports. Not at all. I mean, he's he's like, he's kind of who I think of when I
1: think of and remind myself not to take it. Like, I take it seriously off the air, right? And then, like, the goal is to be as prepared as possible, and then on the air just have fun and not take it too seriously. Like, that, that's the goal. I'm not saying I'm there yet. I still white-knuckled the wheel too much, but I, that, that's the goal.
0: All right, well, let's wrap up with that. What's, what's next for Danny Parkins? Where's Parko going? You got the new deal. You're locked in with Mac. What's, what's, what are the immediate goals? Where, where do you want to see this thing? Where do you want to be in a year? i want to still be winning in a year i'm very competitive um
1: i i I mean shep and tanny are awesome tanny's the best sound man in the business um so i love the team that we have so i i think we're just scratching the surface still on this show mac and i figuring each other out max vote voice stuff early interruptions like we're now in our second baseball season and it'll be our second football season coming up. You know what I mean? So like we like, and we were, we were good. Like I, I, I loved the show. Don't get me wrong. But I, I think, I think that there's still like a much higher level that this show can just get to. Um, I love the national show. Um, the hours are kind of tough, but I love that I get to do it. So maybe fill in for like a big name on that network over a holiday to say I did it as a goal. Like I haven't said that to any of my bosses yet, but you know, Jim Rome takes a lot of vacation. Would it be cool to fill in for Jim Rome? Yes, it would. Um, I'd be interested in that as a a next thing. More TV. It's really hard with our time slot. I can't get over to do Sports Talk Live anymore because the shows always start at 5.30 or 6 and we're off the air at 6. So I can't... So some sort of next outlet whether it be for the radio show or multimedia at the score or somewhere else i'd like to do i I, i'd like to get better at tv frankly and so it's hard to get reps with my my time slot now is much easier with middays Um, but honestly just like people ask me like that all the time they're like what you know what's next we're gonna see you on espn or man i i could do afternoons at the score for 20 years and consider my career a success so i'm not i'm not against anything else or bigger or better i'm a careerist you know but i'm uh there's a lot of challenges still left with this job and this station and this show and taking it to where it could ultimately be so i i got a lot left to do there parko good to be
0: with you brother carm i love you man i uh this was a blast. We'll, we'll do it again. We got dinner at Parco's on Saturday. I'll see
1: you Saturday <laughs> for dinner. I hear you're bringing wi- uh, wine and salad, right? A
0: couple, couple of wines, and uh, we'll figure the rest out. Uh, she, she, the Don't lunch. drive. That's my only request. You got it. Don't drive to dinner so that you don't have
1: a glass and a half of wine and then I have to be the drunk guy in the corner watching college basketball by myself.
0: No, no we got it. Cubs are on, too. It's, we got white socks, so It's a huge big day. I, I got two TVs for, for Cubs in the tournament. Actually, Sox are during the dance center. All right. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Great to see you, Parco. I love you, buddy.